Hello and welcome to another podcast from The Edge with me, Peter Bruce, where I try to explain the things I don't really understand. I issue this edition, and if you don't mind, I'll need to bring the subject up a lot over the next couple of weeks because there are so many angles to it, is industrial policy. More particularly, I want to try and understand what under the sort of rubric of President Cyril Ramaphosa's plan for a massive new growth that transforms the shape of our economy and industry, what exactly Trade, Industry and Competition Minister Ibrahim Patel is doing to make it happen. To my uninformed eye, he may be making irreversible mistakes, picking on sectoral champions like steel and chickens and others and creating conditions around them which, while I'm no doubt well-intended, may have far-reaching and unintended consequences. Today we're going to talk about metals, steel and aluminium. And I have with me Volker Schutter, a German investor and international metals trader, particularly in aluminium. And Volker, I don't want to misrepresent you before going on, but you, 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 you've been doing business in South Africa for many years. Yes, Peter. First of all, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Great pleasure. Yes, I actually been in business here in South Africa since 1985. Uh, trading in non-ferrous metals, that's mainly aluminium, copper and brass, but the focus being on aluminium. But uh, in the meantime, out of that business in South Africa, we have uh, services in uh, Shanghai and quite globally, not fully globally, but quite global active in the non-ferrous metal trade. And you're also invested quite heavily in Huleman, the Peter Marisberg-based, um, what would one call it? It's a fabricator now of aluminium. Yes, that's quite recently, you could say, not for a long, long time, because uh, let's say Huleman plays a big role in the South African market, um, or what they were doing wrong, I must say. And I see good potential in the company, but uh, changes have to happen there. And I was thinking or hoping that I can do from within, um, expedite such change. So I've become, let's say, one of the bigger investors in, in Huleman in recent times. And um, so, yeah, I sit on, on two sides in a certain way. Yes. You brought to my attention, and I'm very grateful for you having done it, the fact that very quietly under the radar on the very last day of 2020, December 31st, the Government Gazette published the introduction of a massive new um, import duty on products that compete with products that Huleman makes, um, which I think was, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm right now, the, the products were aluminium plate and, and sheets. Um, I wonder why you think they did that and why they did that so quietly. Well, why they did it for quite, I think that touches on, on the subject that you raised at the beginning. And that is the fact that there is a shift in government policies in uh, their economic uh, policies. And uh, that is done very quietly and subtle uh, without uh, great discussions within government, as far as I can see, and certainly uh, done without great discussion in the business um, uh, side and, and community. So. I feel not comfortable that this is done so, yeah, 31st of December is certainly a perfect date to publish something and nobody notices. And so far, yeah. I have seen only one article in the paper picking up on it. Yeah. But Peter, if you allow me, uh, because it's such an important issue that I 
let's say, go a bit more in detail on this um, introduction of duties. This is an introduction of so-called aluminium flat road products that covers everything that is uh, a sheet, a strip, a foil, um, and plate that has been used in the aluminium downstream industry. And the duty that has been introduced is 15%, which is a maximum allowed by WTO rules and regulations. This um, introduction of duty has been done by ITEC, stroke the government, on the request of Hudeman. Um, so in, it, in which you're a shareholder. Of which I'm a shareholder. It certainly will have a, better, a positive effect on Hudeman's share price on the short term. There, I have no doubt on it. That's great news as a shareholder. But in the long term, in the downstream industry, I think it will have major negative impact. And that's what I'm concerned about because I'm not only a shareholder in Hudeman, I also have downstream investments in the aluminium industry. So they will be severely affected. And we have been fighting this application of Huleman for an introduction of duty for quite a while. It's the third application in the last 10 years by Huleman. Two of them have been outright rejected by government. And now all of a sudden it is accepted and it's accepted 100% as Huleman wants it. And let's say to the maximum level of duty. So I think one can... Uh, call this a shift in policy if you go from no twice to fully yes yeah. um, so that's the situation that we have um, in addition to flat road products you have so-called extruded products which are tubes profiles uh, bars etc Schuderman had already some three years ago received import duties on their request also of 15 percent on these extrusion products so today all aluminium semi-finished products have a duty of 15% uh, when imported. But what is so interesting is that this comes at a time when um, the Department of Trade and Industry um, is also doing the same, much the same sort of thing on the steel side. It recently tried to or has imposed a, an 18% duty. I think that's 15 plus three on hot roll coil imports into South Africa. And it is also banning or trying to make as difficult as possible the export of scrap from South Africa. And what it tells me is that what Ibrahim Patel, the um, minister concerned, is trying to do is that he is trying, he's decided that he is going to grow local um, capacity in steel and aluminium. And the way he's going to do it is on the one hand by keeping feedstock uh, in the country because people, and by feedstock I mean scrap for um, uh, people who, who melt scrap metal in arc furnaces and keeping out products that may compete with either um, uh, Huleman's profiles or sheets or um, uh, um, ArcelorMittals or, the, or the, the steel products of any other steel maker. So he's trying to get a, he's trying to organize. It's not very sophisticated, but but it's you know the intent is is to almost you should pulling up the drawbridge away in your in your castle. You know that you can't come in and we're going to do everything for ourselves from within here. And yeah. I can't help feeling that there's something wrong with that, and I can't put my finger on it. Um, but what is obvious to me is that if you put up a duty, 
That means that the people who are making the product that you're protecting inside the country can sell it inside the country for more money. In other words, prices will rise. Look, Peter, first of all, prices will rise. That's no doubt. But let's say you have two issues here and uh, you took, take the picture of the drawbridge that has been raised. I would rather take it like a candle that burns from both sides. Meaning if you are a big, let's say, producer of steel or aluminium products, uh, you produce radiators or fridges or whatever out of steel or aluminium, you are now un under attack from two sides. Your cost of raw material will increase due to the duties. Even if you use local material, the price of the local product will go up, no doubt. Yeah. And secondly, you are then restricted in the sale of your scrap, which is a very important cost factor. You have to sell it at a reduced price to some local processor or company instead of selling it at an international acceptable price level. So you have two sides which actually now put you under pressure. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is what Patel or what, let's say, government is doing here. They're protecting, let's say, metal in the steel industry and their employees. And at the side of aluminium, they protect Huleman. Huleman employs 1,700 people. Certainly very important employment factor for Peter Meritzburg. And, and, and let, let, let's not forget that its majority, it is the, its biggest shareholder is the government. Is the IDC with 30%, yes. But they are not a happy shareholder, I can tell you that, because they lost billions on this investment on, on Huleman. But um, you protect now 1,700 people in Peter Murraysburg at the expense of 10 or 20 times that number in the downstream industry. Yeah. And so what you want to achieve, you only achieved for one party, being Huleman or Mittal, and you achieve just the opposite of um, uh, that with the downstream industry. Because you will say, yeah, but will the prices will go up and will that actually really help Huneman, for example? Uh, it's very easy to say, yes, the prices will go up because you have an example. We had three, four years ago, as I mentioned, an introduction of import duties on extrusions on the request of Huneman. There are two producers of extrusions in South Africa. The biggest now is um, Vespeco and the second one has been Huneman. Uh, Huleman asked for that duty, Ms. Bigwood didn't. Um, they got the 50% duty. In the meantime, a year later, they closed their second plant in Odifans Fontaine, and um, their business is not running well at all. So even with the import duty, the number of employees at Huleman have been reduced sharply on that side. So exactly opposite of what wanted or was planned to be achieved, the prices have gone up. Uh, but Huleman has not really achieved any benefit of it by bigger volume or higher prices. So it's, if you look at that part, it's a complete fiasco. You have achieved nothing whatsoever for the whole industry. You only achieved higher prices for the downstream industry. That's all that you have achieved. And it's interesting because the downstream industry is, is in a way not obvious. It doesn't have these huge plants and it's not, you know, they're not big projects, but they are, Often small businesses doing um, quite complicated work with metal, aluminium or steel, um, and they do um, they do a lot of exporting. They do, they get contracts in other countries to supply shapes or finished products or semi finished products, I presume. Um, and as you say, uh, these people employ a lot of a lot of 
I mean, they'd create a lot of jobs and they've been around forever. Much more. They certainly, this industry, the downstream industry employs much, much more people than um, uh, Huleman itself or AMSA stroke Metal. Huh? Yeah. Um, so there's no doubt on that. And uh, one thing we have to accept and uh, yeah, Huleman or Metal has a more open ear at government than uh, these various smaller and medium-sized companies have. They have a better um, way of um, being heard and get their point of view through at government. That's a fact we have to accept. Um, Mittal in particular, but also Huleman are very good of um, making their point noted by government. Yes. Well, they have, they have the phone numbers. In fact, uh, score metals, if I'm not mistaken, is also owned by the IDC. A huge loss. So you would think government being a shareholder in score uh, or in Huleman um, would have, let's say, a bigger driving uh, motivation to actually go into it in detail, but they don't. Uh, that's what is surprising to me. Uh, the IDC accepting their investment as it stands at Huleman, they accept management um, as they run the company for the last 12 years, um, they lost, as I said, they lost billions of rand in their investment on, on Huleman. Why, and why would they? Why would they continue? Do you think with the same management? I mean, the price, the price of Huleman's share has, I think, fallen from in 2008, 150 rand, and I think it's worth about two rand today. Um, um, how much did you buy for? How much have you lost on? Oh, sorry, Peter, you caught me. I actually haven't lost because I bought it at the bottom pretty much. Oh, did you? Oh, well. I bought it around one rand. So I, at the moment, you could say I could, could smile because it's oh, not true. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm not smiling. I'm being very honest. I'm not smiling because um, I would, Huderman has great potential and one can go into it in a separate uh, uh, podcast. But um, it's not been uh, utilized. They just, you know, they have big problems. They have run uh, three years big losses. And instead of doing what they know has to be done, they just now get protection uh, from government. You must understand that we already in South Africa pay substantially more for aluminum semi-finished products from Huleman um, in South Africa than we would pay in Europe. We have a company that buys Huleman products in Europe and ships it back to South Africa because it's cheaper. So, so but does that mean that they're that they're dumping in Europe? Well, they have in America been charged twice for dumping. They now at the moment have a nine percent uh, dumping duty on their product, um, and I don't know what the final outcome is. There is no doubt, and Huleman has even admitted to it. The question is, do they dump by ten percent or by thirty percent in America or Europe? So that's the only argument. There's no question, and I'd be happy to prove to anybody, and Huderman knows it, that they sell the prices, uh, sell products at prices higher in, Europe, in South Africa than in America or Europe. And with the duty now, that will go even up more. So they cover their inefficiencies by now ways of raising prices here locally. It, it, the Huderman in their, on their website boasts that... Um, um, you know that it's a major supplier of of, of um, uh, fabricated aluminium, and that sixty percent of its sales are exports. You know, and applying for import duties is an odd thing to do if you're an exporter. But but um, uh, presumably, then those exports are, are are made at sort of giveaway prices. In other words, because we have no choice but to buy at their prices in South Africa but they would sell below the, the local market price in Germany 
uh, or in, in Europe or the Europe, which is a classic description of dumping. Well, I don't want to go into it, <laughs> but clearly, fact is they sell at a, a higher price here in yeah. South Africa. What about, and, can I just ask you? That cannot help the local industry here, that's for yeah. sure. What about, in your experience, um, just, to, just to turn to steel for a moment, um, yeah. there's a lot of steel, you know, being made, and and um, I, cannot, I cannot understand what the rationale is for trying to impose or renew um, a, a sort of holding duty. There's a particular kind of duty that you can do, for, which is temporary to protect an industry. The government has imposed this, reimposed this duty yeah. on hot roll coil imports. And hot roll coil is important because people roll it out into all sorts of things and it affects, it affects the construction industry. Uh, for instance, if you want a, a corrugated iron roof, you know, your corrugated iron roof starts off as a piece of hot roll coil yes. uh, and gets treated, and etc. And it's actually very hard to get uh, corrugated iron for a roofing now, particularly in some parts of the country. And it's because um, the imports aren't coming in, and apparently because AMSA, um, uh is unable to um, supply the market, having... So it's being protected, and it's in, and it's incapable of supplying the market at the same time. And there are lots of complaints about it. Can you also in steel buy South African steel more cheaply? Is it cheaper to buy South African steel in Europe and re-import it back here? Well, I have not done that, so I, it would be um, ambitious for me to say so. But I think yeah. again, um, you will find enough people to confirm it that the prices that are being paid in South Africa are higher than international prices due to the duties. And um, here again, like in aluminium, you have only one producer, being Metal, who is part of uh, the biggest steel producer in the world. Um, I think it would be a very easy exercise to get prices here in South Africa and go to Metal in uh, Europe or Metal in Brazil or wherever and check their prices there. But you have a huge problem in the steel industry in South Africa. It's well known and been expressed by various um, parties in organized um, uh, uh, organizations, the employers, organization, etc., uh, writing to, to government and to Mittal saying um, we have a major problem here that affects our downstream industry and actually um, yeah, reduces employment in that industry. So um, I find it amazing that it's so clear and that you just protect two big companies there. Um, uh, well, the yeah. plan so the plan, I mean, the, the, the plan, as I understand it, is to say, well, this is short-term pain um, because what we're doing here is now we now have um, the beginnings of a huge free trade area in Africa, in the rest of Africa, and, and, and that what we are trying to do is save these big base industries like steel and aluminium to serve this new market when it becomes fully functional. Uh, and I suppose the question to ask is whether one shouldn't possibly wait a little while for the market to develop because only two, as far as I understand, only two very small countries have ratified, um, have ratified it. One is uh, some small islands off uh, mm -hmm. West Africa. Um, I don't even think we've ratified ratified oh. the, the right protocols in South Africa yet. Um, 
and to to right now start to protect these industries as if they were going to be vital springboards into this market might be just a little bit naive because in I presume Forker that that if you have a market in Egypt or if you've got a market if you're a sealmaker and you have a market in Sudan or Ghana or wherever mm. that you you don't just give it away for nothing no absolutely not why should I and look, this agreement certainly holds great potential for South Africa in particular, as we have an industrial base, there's no doubt. But I think we must be realistic, it will take a long time till this actually really has been felt uh, and business really being generated from there. So, um, and I'm not talking here now six months, I rather talk here three, five years. Yeah. So um, to now protect now industries uh, that you want to make good use of in five or six years uh, might be a bit, um, yeah, strange approach. Give me an example then. So what would you do? Because you can't, if, you, if you're saying, look, there is this great big thing out there that we want to be part of, the Africa free trade area or African continental free trade area, I think it's called. Yeah. How do you preserve Hulamin, uh, make it stronger um, while that market gets itself kind of ready? How do you preserve score metals how do you preserve uh, amsa while this what would your plan be for hulaman you said it was a, a a topic for another discussion but what are the outlines what do you, do you what, what would you like to do to hulaman okay look i i would like to take hulaman as an example not so much score because i really don't know it too well yeah. in metal less but uh, let's work on aluminium and on hulaman Look, first of all, you must understand Huliman exports 60% of their products, so they are internationally competitive. If they make much money in the international trade or not, I cannot judge in clear detail. Uh, it's certainly not super profit, uh, um, profitable for them, but they can compete internationally. So if they can compete in America and in Europe and in Thailand and wherever, why can't they compete in their local market? That's the first thing. The second thing, what would I do with Huliman? I think it's super easy because Huliman knows what they need to do. Um, I would, first of all, I must admit, change the top management immediately because they now fiddle on this company for 12 years with no success and they know what to do, but they don't doing it. So any private business, you would change management. So that's the first thing I would do. Yeah. Secondly, uh, I would certainly take that plant and reduce its range of products. Now, due to the history of Huliman uh, in the pre-85 and 95 uh, periods, when South Africa was under sanctions, yeah. Huliman had more or less the task to produce everything for anybody in South Africa. So aircraft industry, defense industry, packaging, automotive, building, anything. That's super difficult. But nowadays, they still do the same. They still run the same, basically, policy as previous to 95. Yeah. And not possible. So you need to reduce your range of products. And they know exactly which products that should be. For example, for the can industry, which is a big industry in South Africa. So you have to reduce your product range and focus on that and then be globally and in your own market competitive. The third thing that you need to do is you have to make better use of scrap. They bought, let's say, five years ago, um, a plant from, from the UK, Hurtwich is the name, um, to recycle used beverage cans. But this machine doesn't really work as it's supposed to be. That's, again, another podcast. Peter. Yeah. 
But nevertheless, you need to get this working because scrap is the best thing that you can use. And used beverage cans is in ample supply here. At the moment, it's exported because Huneman doesn't use it to the extent. And they don't admit that the machine doesn't really work as it should be. But the fact of it is that they don't use it. Uh, they don't use scrap as they should. And if they would do it, they would reduce their costs substantially. Yeah. So this is three things. Number four is you need to look at your cash uh, management, uh, but that's uh, yeah. better. You bring up a very interesting point, Volker. Um, the extent to which the government is trying to almost recreate the conditions that industry prospered in under apartheid. In other words, you know, we, we, we want to make everything ourselves, basically, and stop importing from the horrible Chinese or whoever they might, we might be importing from. And it's an odd thing to do because, because that economy worked, and, but you can't copy it now because you're missing one, you're missing the main ingredient. The main ingredient, it seems to me, was apartheid itself. It guaranteed you a supply of cheap labor. And yeah. you don't have cheap labor anymore. And without cheap labor, you can't do all of the things in a small economy like this. Uh, with we, you know, we're not a big market for anything, frankly. Um, yeah. uh, it seems to me to be the height of foolishness to even try and reproduce the old Afrikaner industrial miracle. You know? Yeah, Peter. I mean, uh, to me, it's unbelievable that we go back. Uh, in time, basically, with certain policies. And when you say the economy worked well, yes, it worked well for a few people or companies, yeah. um, which were highly protected. But for a lot of people, let's say 95%, it didn't work well, the economy. So uh, luckily, we found a different way and we now a different economy and a different society. And the policies of 1980 don't work now in 2020. You cannot do this. And um, now you come to the international environment, basically, uh, it is such a pity that I see um, also in other places in the world that there is this uh, yeah, clearly visible movement from the free trade and open market policies to now protect your own turf. Uh, if you protect it against Chinese, that's always the first step and then you get to others and so on. So you open the door of, let's say, you, you start the, the process of closing the doors for a competition from outside. So I find that a very alarming process and South Africa seems to be joining that process, which I would say started in the States, most likely at least in the metal industry. It, it certainly did. In fact, I read the other day, um, American aluminium producers are warning the new incoming Biden administration um, not to, not to uh, lower um, any barriers to Chinese competition, otherwise they would um, begin um, they would begin cutting cutting jobs. Do, Peter, this story in America is an amazing story. Again, if we look at the aluminium industry, um, the Trump administration in 2018, early 2018, introduced import duties on aluminium road products. So that was the first step. Yeah. Second step was shortly afterwards they introduced anti-dumping duties against Chinese um, road products. Now you must understand, and they were quite substantial, you must understand that the American aluminum industry, which is asking for these duties, cannot supply the total demand of the American market. So yeah. they need to be imports. So now the Chinese were closed out 
Uh, that meant that now all of a sudden from all countries from brazil to south africa to europe to middle east started to export bigger volumes to the states certainly at higher prices so the prices went up and now other people were supplying into the market so what did the americans do now they uh, investigating or having a process of anti-dumping charges against 17 other countries and i think 30 mills they're now exporting to america but i mean you just mess up the whole market the prices have gone up the suppliers have changed you now got three different duties and you still haven't got a grip on it before you had a very well balanced market yes the american mills didn't hit 100%, but they couldn't supply 100% of yeah. the demand. Yeah. And now, next thing is, in Europe, we now also have the same process starting. So, in Brazil, the same process is starting. So, everybody now brings up his bridge, as you say, uh, to protect their own turf. And I think this is not the way to have uh, create employment, if in Brazil, in America, or in South Africa. Um, I think we have done in the last 20 years, in South Africa in particular, we have done particular well with an open market policy. Yeah. And that's, and that, and, and unfortunately, um, it's taken a government run by somebody with actual business experience to begin to reverse that. Yes, I mean, Patel is an economist, he certainly knows what he's doing, but I think he just listens to one side of the story. Uh, and again, we go to the beginning of your, your podcast here, is that there is no discussion. I, can, I cannot find within government, in parliament, or within the business community, any discussion on this. I just hear some little voice here complaining or whatever, but there is, you know, if I change my economic policy to a more closed economy, then there must be in a democratic environment, a discussion on it with all parties involved. You can't just on the 31st of December, Christmas Eve, push through some, some duties. That is, I think, yeah. is short-sighted and is a mistake. There needs to be discussion. If everybody then agrees that this is the best way, well, then fair enough, we have to accept it. Yeah. I mean, what happens, of course, is that, you know, if you challenge the government and that I was talking about Sula Ramaphosa there, not, not um, Brian Patel, but I, you know, I, it, it, Ramaphosa closing up the economy in this way um, is, is, uh, is very disappointing, I think, even though he might have in mind the Africa free continental free trade area one day. The fact is that his trade and industry minister is moving way too quickly. Um, is getting ahead of getting ahead of the program. That's because the program typical typically for you know the ANC governments um, is always uh, you know implemented very slowly, if at all. Uh, and yeah. if you only do half of it, if you only do the if you only do the blocking half, you end up with um, you know all sorts of unintended unintended uh, consequences. I just wondered also just finally you know you you've got offices as you say in the rest of the in the in the rest of the world are you dealing are you are we not alone what you seem to be saying we're not alone in pulling up the drawbridge that there's a there's a wider sort of um feeling that um um that free trade isn't the answer any longer to people's problems that globalization isn't the answer yeah. um, the, it's an interesting proposition because it's it's happening at the same time as the Chinese economy really begins to start pumping again and yeah. taking off yeah um, Peter, Peter I think yes there is a global trend but that global trend is particular focus on Chinese 
um, producers and suppliers. And um, well, there might be industries and points where this is valid, I can't say, but um, again, if I look at steel or if I look at aluminium, the Chinese have identified 30 years ago aluminium to be a very critical, critical component or commodity in the industrialization of their country. Yeah. And they have put huge investments, private and government investments into that industry. They have built phenomenal big plants, very efficient, very modern plants with machinery all over um, imported from uh, Europe, America, and so on. So state of the art and big volume. So they have become super competitive, whereby, let's say, um, I don't know when uh, Mittal in South Africa have really invested uh, new equipment into their plant. Well, they haven't for ages. I mean, they, no. they're shutting down plant rather than... Correct. Correct, and they have not invested. You cannot be competitive against people who really take money in their hands and invest it if you don't do the same and stay stay ahead of the technical game. And that applies to uh, Mittal here in South Africa, it applies to Huneman um, if you don't invest. And it applies to European or American plants. The last European rolling mill that has been put into... Uh, action was, I think, in 96, that's 25 years ago, 26 yeah. years ago in uh, in Alu North. I mean, it's the last plant they have really put up in Europe. So, I mean, yes, you have fallen behind and now you try to protect yourself by building up these duty borders. Um, that's not the answer, I would say. And I would say nobody will win out of that. You have to, yeah, you have to keep pace and you have to invest. Then you can compete yeah. with these people. Huh? As a... As a in the trading business, um, you're, you're taking orders and, and, and fulfilling, fulfill, fulfilling orders, as it were. Where is, in, in the aluminium business now, I mean, where does South Africa rank as a reliable producer of um, aluminium? Look, Tuleman, technically speaking, is a good plant. They produce a very good product. I think one must really say that. Yeah. And they have certain products that they export um, uh, and uh, play a role in the international market. But let's say in America, I would say their market share is 1%. In Europe, it's 1%. So they are minute by um, international standards. But that's no nothing wrong with it. You don't have to be the biggest. You must, if you're not the biggest, you have to specialize and you have to, let's say, pick the raisins in the market, as I call it. And I think you will understand what I mean. Um, you don't have to be the biggest, just pick where you're good at, technically speaking, and then nurture that and build that and invest in that area and become uh, a global leader in that respect. But don't try now to be the jack of all trades and master of none. And uh, there you will not succeed. So internationally, Huleman is a small plant to give an idea. Um, the capacity stands around about 250,000 tons of aluminium um, uh, per annum at Huleman. Uh, there are now a couple of plants in Asia being built with 2 million tons per annum. So, I mean, that tells you all. And uh, on the extrusion side, it's, I mean, it's even... You... And where does, this, where does this aluminium that's being produced, where does it... Where does it sort of live, you know, before it's before it's actually used? Is it on the water? Is it in, is it in storage on on land? How does it, you know, do you presumably you've got to keep your your plant running whether you've got orders or not? What happens? What happens to all of the aluminium products that are produced? Are they are they instantly bought or is it a longer look? Chain? Um, 
Look, first of all, aluminium is a commodity and it's traded um, in various places on the LME in particular, but also in China. And it's today, like gold or other commodities, a wonderful um, vehicle to invest in. So a lot of aluminium sits in warehouses mm. and is owned by London, New Yorker or South African um, uh, traders and investors. So it's a wonderful investment. Uh, to to keep money in, you pay a bit of storage fee, but less than what you pay for money uh, that you keep in Europe in the bank account, where you have to pay negative interest. So it's it's um, a good place to store money and invest in. Yeah. But then a mill, yes, a mill has to run. It needs to have a certain capacity, and when it's produced, it should be shipped and supplied to customers. I want to see the uh, let's say the same applies to steel, which is not so close to us, but to the aluminium. I want to see a successful. Uh, industry here. You must keep yeah. one thing in mind, aluminium is being produced from bauxite, uh, alumina, that's pretty much the only commodity that South Africa does not have. Yeah. Uh, so that's all been imported. But it would be nice if we can make it a uh, successful um, industry here for the local downstream industry and then export as well. But yeah. uh, what has been done now is not the right way to achieve this. That I'm very, very cer uh, certain of. Volker uh, Schutter, thank you very much for sharing your insight and your knowledge with us. Peter, thanks very much for giving me the opportunity. Uh, it was great fun. It's been an absolute pleasure and a lesson, a lesson in 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 aluminium and metal <laughs> to me. Thank you, Volker, very much, and uh, and go well. Yes, same to you. Thanks. Bye bye. Take care. Well, that's it for now. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, and it was a real lesson for me in in an industry that I don't know enough about but that I'm very interested in and we need to closely follow in, in South Africa what is happening to our industrial base. Uh, the policies that are being followed by the government are being done almost by stealth in a way and uh, I think Volker Schutter was absolutely right to say there needs to be more discussion. Are we doing the right things? You know, it may be that we're doing the right things in some sectors and not in other sectors and we only get it right by being open and transparent and interested in what's happening around us. This is not about just the small businesses that are being hurt by increased tariffs. This is about you and me and the products that we that we need uh, in our daily lives. But uh, until next week, I'll see you again. Keep well. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.